You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia discuss the primary care issues that are on their mind and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and I'm talking today about QI, or quality improvement. Joining me is Dr. Elena Wong, who's the Director of Quality for the CHOP Care Network. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Katie. I'm excited to talk to you. Great. So we hear about QI all the time, but can you help define what that really is? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, QI, or quality improvement, is usually defined as a framework to systematically improve the way that care is delivered to patients. Um, Everything we do in healthcare, uh, the process um, with characteristics that we can measure, analyze, improve, and control. Mm -hmm. So QI involves continuous efforts to reduce variation and improve the outcomes of these processes for both patients and for the healthcare organization and system. I was actually drawn to QI because it offers simple but effective tools and methodology Um, that help us identify what changes can really actually result in improvement. Great. I love that it's not just busy work and like you said, it's something that's really improving the quality of care that we deliver to our patients. Absolutely. So engaging in QI work can bring with it some satisfaction to the work that we do while improving patient safety and outcomes like we just said. So when starting a QI project, who should be on the team? So as with any project, the key to success is making sure you've engaged all the essential, what we call stakeholders. Uh, For example, offices often struggle with patient flow as a pain point. Mm. Um, If a team of providers and nurses decide to tackle this issue, but neglect to include administrative staff, um, their proposed solution is subject to failure because they may not be aware of all of the non-clinical roles and responsibilities in their office. So teams really should take the time to touch base with also managers and other leaders as they explore potential um, interventions and changes. That's a good point because we don't always know what all the other roles in our office are doing. We don't see things from their perspectives and making sure we have all those perspectives on our team is important. Very, very important. So one of the biggest hurdles in getting physicians interested in QI is that as a group, we can be resistant to change. So how can we help motivate our peers and sometimes ourselves to embrace the changes that QI projects may drive? So one of the things I love about QI is that improvement projects are typically most successful when the idea from change comes from the frontline staff. Mm -hmm. In other words, bottom-up versus top-down initiatives. So some of the most important legwork that a QI team must do is engage the staff who have boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. That's us, that's our peers. We're the ones who usually really know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So even though change can be hard, uh, staff are more likely to consider the change if they know it could address a pain point in their daily work or result in better patient outcomes. Um, Another important tactic is for teams to share or advertise every successful intervention, no matter how small. Mm-hmm. Um, this can be in the form of simple graphs that show off the improvements in one quick glance mm-hmm. or sharing periodic updates with staff too. Mm-hmm. Great. So it's kind of a grassroots type project. That's, those are the ones I love the best yeah. um, and they're sometimes surprise the leaders because 
they're not aware mm -hmm. that this was happening. They're right. like, oh, I didn't know that was a problem. Mm -hmm. um, so that's those are the most successful ones too. So we may each be able to think of 10 processes in our office that need improvement. So how do we know which one might work for a QI project and really where we should start? It's true that there are many opportunities for improvement, so it can be mm -hmm. tricky to decide what to tackle. Um, keep in mind that QI projects can be very small scale, so even just trying out one change for one day, um, just don't forget to identify a way to measure the impact of that change. Mm -hmm. Larger scale projects can potentially have more impact um, and may also require a little more effort and a multidisciplinary approach. Um, these are the types of projects that can benefit from recruiting a formal team. Mm -hmm. um, at CHOP, by the way, you can also request a QI consult through the Office of Clinical Quality Improvement. Mm -hmm. um, you just email qualityconsult at email.chop.edu. Um, we have wonderful improvement advisors and one of them can actually meet with the team for a total of three hours um, I highly recommend their support. That's amazing. That's a really great resource to know about for people. So it's been a while since many of us thought about PDSA cycles, or maybe we never did. So can you walk us through an example of what one of these may look like in our practice? Absolutely. So <laughs> PDSA stands for Plan, Do, Study, Act. And it describes the steps uh, that a team will complete to see if an intervention results in improvement. Okay. So, based on the outcome of its intervention, the team will then plan their next PDSA cycle. But I'll discuss each step briefly to um, really kind of give a bit more perspective. Yeah, what those things mean. What does that mean, right? Uh, when a team has identified a potential test of change or intervention, they first need to plan mm -hmm. exactly how to implement this change. Who's involved? Who, who will do what, when? Mm -hmm. right. um, and who needs to be informed? So at this stage, they should also be thinking a little bit ahead to study mm -hmm. because they need to figure out what they're measuring and how they'll collect the data. Okay. So the next do is the action step. Dive in and implement the change. And if the team planned appropriately, mm -hmm. then the team the step goes smoothly. Right. Um, so you wanna put a lot of effort into your, your first step in that plan stage. Absolutely. Um, as mentioned, the team should study the impact of that intervention. Mm -hmm. um, do the data show improvement? Is there no change? Is mm -hmm. it too soon to tell? And based on that data, the team should um, decide what action to take. So the A in PDSA mm -hmm. can also be thought of as three options, adopt, adapt, or abandon. Mm -hmm. So if the intervention resulted in awesome improvement, the team would just adopt the change and decide what to do next. If it showed little improvement that needs a little tweaking, the team would adapt the tests and try again. If it showed worse outcomes um, and there was a lot of outcry of let's never do that again, then the team would abandon that test and try an alternative intervention. Great. I would imagine that the part of the PDSA that scares people the most is the study. Um, do we need to be statisticians to do a PDSA cycle or what kind of study may we do on it? So I am also not a statistician, um, and I think I enjoy QI because uh, there's a lot of really um, easy to understand ways of measuring and analyzing data. Um, one of them is actually a QI run chart. Mm -hmm. So, I so mentioned, what's a QI run chart? What is that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mentioned earlier that teams can use a simple graph to demonstrate what they're doing and um, how that's going. So you can collect data mm -hmm. um, on a basic line graph with time along the horizontal axis. So you're basically trying data over time. Mm -hmm. um, there, you can do this on paper with pen or mm -hmm. pencil mm -hmm. or basic Excel. Mm -hmm. um, 
they don't require statistic methodology and they can be very easily and quickly understood. Um, so when you do this and you collect and chart data over time, you actually can see trends, patterns, or variation in the process. Mm -hmm. um, this is actually one of the most important tools to really assess the effectiveness of your changes mm -hmm. um, and helps teams demonstrate the impact of that over time. Um, I will say that in QI publications, you typically will see what's called control charts rather than run charts. Mm -hmm. And these are call, also called SPC or statistical process control charts. Okay. Um, so in case you ever see those, um, sometimes they're also called Schuart charts, named after mm -hmm. one of the pioneers of QI. They're all um, relatively the same thing though. They're, those are all kind of same names for um, a, a sort of ro more robust run chart. So instead of just having data over time, they'll have a larger amount of data mm -hmm. and it allows you to calculate kind of um, what would represent three standard deviations above and below the mean and they plot those and those are called upper and lower control limits. Okay. Um, so I know I'm going to lose some people just with that discussion alone. Mm -hmm. um, really the whole point is that a control chart allows you to depict statistically significant trends. So instead of p-value less than 0.05, mm -hmm. you see is this above or below these extra control limit lines on mm -hmm. the graph. If they are, then you know that something different is happening. Great. So improving professional practice or part four of the maintenance of certification or MOC requires that pediatricians demonstrate competence in systematic measurement and improvement in patient care and work that is done in a variety of areas that are intended to improve child health. So that was a lot of words, but can you give us some examples of how physicians in general can achieve this part four MOC? Absolutely. So I think you were reading direct words from like the yes. ABP website yes. of what they define, um, you know, as what they want us to do. Right. So uh, the ABP has been working hard to try to make this a little bit easier, mm -hmm. um, especially for physicians to gain part four mm -hmm. points. Um, there's multiple performance improvement modules available on both the ABP website and the AAP websites. Mm -hmm. By the way, these are mostly free. So if you've already paid for your MOC Great. enrollment or your AAP membership, there's no additional cost. Great. Um, but if you're already doing QI in your office, you can actually submit an application and a small fee to the ABP to get 25 MOC Part 4 credits for that work. Great. Um, in addition, if you are a CHOP physician doing QI work, you can earn those credits for free. Mm -hmm. um, please don't hesitate to contact me for additional information. Great. So there's projects at CHOP that we could get involved with if we if we wanted to. If you wanted to, or if you're already doing the work, mm -hmm. then I can help you get approved to have MOC credits for that work you're already doing. That's great. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Please, no, don't. <laughs> <laughs> so if listeners are interested in learning more about QI and they want to do more of the things that you're doing, what resources do you recommend for them? So I'd say the biggest one is the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, or IHI. Mm -hmm. um, they have a bunch of online learning modules about QI mm -hmm. and about patient safety. Uh, they call this the IHI Open School. Okay. Um, you can actually register for free at their website. It's IHI.org and access most of those courses. That's great. Uh, but if you're affiliated with a hospital or an academic institution, a lot of them have an institutional subscription, which means free access for their employees and staff. Um, an added bonus is that you can actually get part two MOC and CME credits for those modules. Yeah. Um, if you're feeling like, oh, I'm not really ready to tackle some official courses that can take hours, I actually recommend checking out their video library. Um, they have some entertaining and educational videos about QI and patient safety. Mm -hmm. And just in general, they're kind of inspiring. You, you right. watch them, you're like, oh, that's 
amazing. I should do that. <laughs> great. That's, we love inspiring. <laughs> so that's a great resource to know about. And we can link to that on our, um, on our podcast website too. Perfect. So if we're interested in writing up our QI work for publication, where's the best audience for this type of research? Like where, do, where could we even read QI research that's out there? Uh, so the top tier journals like Pediatrics, JAMA, New England Journal, they do now regularly publish QI articles, mm -hmm. um, as well as the British Medical Journal. They have a specific one called BMJ Quality and Safety. Mm -hmm. um, so those are kind of the top tier. There's many journals that do feature QI publications. I'll just list a few. Mm -hmm. um, so Implementation Science, the Joint Commission Journal on Quality and Safety, um, PLOS Medicine, and then some um, smaller QI journals are Quality and Primary Care, which mm -hmm. is what I do, so I, I like mm -hmm. that journal, um, and Pediatric Quality and Safety. Great. Um, outside of journals, there's actually two other resources for either learning or submitting um, abstracts. One is, uh, of course, the AAP National Conference, right. as well as the Pediatric Academic Societies. They have a specific day mm. um, within that that they set aside to feature QI, QI projects, QI research. Um, and then there are some other conferences that are specific to that, especially um, through the Children's Health um, Health uh, Alliance and the IHI National Forum. Okay. Um, I, I'll share with Katie uh, offline that we can get, there's a document of a bunch of other great listservs and mm -hmm. websites. So if you just want to learn some more, I can um, give that information to you. Yep, we can post that as well. I think the conferences sound like a great way to get your feet wet. If you're interested in QI and you just want to see what other places are doing, it's a nice way to, to learn before you might dive into your own project. So what's some of the QI work that we're doing um, at CHOP in the Care Network? Um, so this is probably one of the most exciting things that's been going on um, over the last few years. Our primary care colleagues have been working to increase uh, timely treatment of teens with STDs mm -hmm. um, using texting, by the way. That's um, kind of a novel uh, attempt there. Mm -hmm. Improving breastfeeding rates, which yeah. is near and dear to many of our hearts. Mm -hmm. um, optimizing postpartum depression screening and mm -hmm. referrals for positive screenings. Um, and on deck for this year are actually um, some innovative approaches to looking at um, outpatient management of constipation. Because mm -hmm. we uh, never see that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So how can we do that better? Yeah, great. Um, and then also elevated lead levels, so screening, mm -hmm. recognition, and management. Um, one of the most exciting ones that I think is uh, looking at increasing provider efficiency and mm. satisfaction through the use of scribes in primary care. Yeah. Because that is uh, very successful elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just a sampling of some of the QI projects happening in CHOP primary care. There's many, many more. Yeah, um, so a lot stay already, tuned. Yeah. And um, definitely anyone listening, please don't hesitate to contact uh, me with any questions about QI or MOC. Well, we really appreciate the QI work that you're doing for our care network, and we know that it has benefits beyond the care network as well, and which is why um, we're excited to see you um, presenting this work nationally as well. And thanks so much for teaching us a little bit more about QI. For those who are in the care network, you can reach out to Dr. Wong, and for those who aren't, we will put some of the links and flyers that she mentioned on our website, which is www.chop.edu slash podcast. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash podcasts for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.